Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. If God is a God of love, what about the wrath of God? What about Old Testament violence? What about the supposed divine violence of the cross? What about hell? That's a big question. Uh, What about the book of Revelation? Well, those are the questions that we are going to explore in the Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God online course that begins tomorrow. We have close to a thousand people registered for that. Isn't that isn't that a great? Yeah, yeah. I would just applaud that fact. <laughs> and uh, so there's still time to uh, get registered. Go to wolc.com/sinners. <laughs> wolc.com/sinners, and that'll take you to where you and you and registration is. You say how much is it? A donation, whatever you feel like donating. And so the live class is from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Central Time. But once you get registered, uh, then you have access to the recording. So, you know, if you're in Timbuktu, and that would be the middle of the night, well, you can watch it at your leisure once you're registered. So I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. I know... I know there's interest. I know that it's going to it's going to help people to um, get beyond some of these things that have uh, been a theological struggle for them. So that's that's coming up tomorrow. But this is the Lord's Day, and I'm asking this question this morning: When do we live? John ten verse ten. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. It's his first time to be in Jerusalem after beginning his public ministry. And so a lot of people are hearing him in Jerusalem for the first time. And they're not quite sure, who is this? Who is this? And Jesus says, well, I am the good shepherd. And the sheep know my voice. They don't know the voice of a stranger. They won't follow a stranger. But the sheep know my voice. I am the good shepherd. The hired hand who doesn't own the sheep, doesn't really care for the sheep. And when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, the hired hand abandons the flock and flees. Not the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. 
I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I need to go bring them also. So there will be one flock with one shepherd. Most of the people didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They heard these words and they didn't understand it. And some were very caustic in their assessment of Jesus. They said, he has a demon. He's out of his mind. Why do you even bother listening to him? But others said, yeah, but he restored sight to a blind man. Can a demon do that? And so the people were divided. They weren't quite sure who Jesus was. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, to really understand what Jesus is talking about here, we need to answer this question. Jesus said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. Well, what does that mean? Who, who are those that came before Jesus who in fact were not good shepherds, but they were thieves and robbers? All who came before me, the thieves and robbers, and these thieves, they, only really, they really only come to steal, kill, and destroy. What is Jesus talking about? Well, to answer this question, we need to know a little bit of history. In the decades just right before Jesus begins his public ministry. And to do that, we turn to good old Josephus, that Jewish Roman historian, and uh, you're probably not sitting around late at night reading Josephus, but I am. That's my job. I, I read it for you. And so I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit. Between 20 and 30 years, that time yet, before Jesus begins his public ministry, uh, there was a series of militant, charismatic leaders who rose up in Israel claiming to be the Jewish Messiah, claiming to be, we would use this language, claiming to be the Christ. That is, the king sent by God to liberate Israel from Gentile oppression, from Roman occupation, and thus usher in the kingdom of God. There was a whole series of these. Charismatic, militant leaders who claimed to be the Messiah sent from God, the king anointed by God to liberate Israel and usher in the kingdom of God. Well, they all failed. And uh, these false and failed messiahs, these are the ones that Jesus describes as thieves and robbers who only really came, their only real accomplishment was to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I'm not like those guys. I'm not like those that have come before me. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the flock. And the good shepherd 
leads the flock into abundant life. Now, I think it would be helpful because I just said that, but I, I, want, I want to introduce you to about three of these um, false messiahs, those that claim to be messiahs, those that claim, I am the Christ, I'm here to save you. I, I think we should meet some of them. Uh, one of them would be Judas of Galilee. In AD 6, now AD 6, that, this is happening when Jesus is 10, 11, 12. All right, Jesus isn't born in year zero. There isn't a year, year zero. He wasn't born in 1 AD. He was born before the death of Herod and King Herod the Great dies in 4 BC. So he's born in 4, 5, 6, somewhere in that. I know it's, it's odd to say Jesus was born 4, 5, 6 years before Christ, but, but he was. In the year 6 AD, when Jesus is 10, 11, 12, somewhere uh, in that age, a guy named Judas Bar Hezekiah launched a tax revolt. That is, you know, he's going to lead people in not paying their taxes to Rome in Galilee, in Sepphoris. Sepphoris in Galilee is where he launches this revolt. Well, Sepphoris is three miles from Nazareth. So Jesus is 10, 11, 12 years old, three miles away in the nearby big city of Sepphoris. There is this tax revolt led by Judas Bar Hezekiah. And part of his revolt was he told the Jews in Galilee, do not register with the Romans for taxation. And if they did, Judas Bar Hezekiah, then burned down their houses and stole their livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, his revolt was supported by banditry and he became the founder of the zealots. Maybe some of you have read about the zealots in the New Testament. He's the founder of the zealots and he's referred to as Judas the Galilean in Acts 5, 37. Of Judas the Galilean, who claimed to be the Messiah, we might say that he came to steal. Of course, he was captured and killed by the Romans. Then there's Athronges the shepherd. As his name suggests, Athronges had been a shepherd, but around the year uh, AD 4, he became a revolutionary who crowned himself the king of the Jews. Uh, during his insurrection, which lasted two years, his most notable accomplishment was to attack a company of Roman soldiers stationed at Emmaus and killed them all. So of Athronges the shepherd, we might say he came to kill. And eventually, of course, he was captured and killed by the Romans. And then there's Simon of Perea. Simon of Perea was an escaped slave of King Herod the Great, who led a revolt and crowned himself king of the Jews and around the year 4 B.C., this is right around the birth of Jesus, maybe a little after, around the year 4 B.C., Simon of Perea attacked and destroyed Herod's palace at Jericho, and he was also able to destroy some other royal residences. Of Simon of Perea, we might say he came to destroy. Eventually, the Roman legions were sent to quell Simon's rebellion, and when confronted with the Roman army, Simon abandoned his followers, fled the battlefield, but was soon captured and executed by the Romans. So
So these, along with others, I didn't introduce you to all of them. These, along with other false and failed messiahs, were the thieves and robbers whose only real accomplishment was to steal, to kill, and to destroy. These were the false shepherds who, when they saw the Roman legions advancing with the Roman symbol of the she-wolf on their standards. That's the symbol of ancient Rome. That's the she-wolf suckling Romulus and Remus, the, the founders of the ancient city of Rome. That when these false shepherds see the wolf on the standard of the Roman army advancing, they say, I'm going to abandon the flock, as Jesus says. The hired hand who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Well, Jesus is not the hired hand. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus didn't come to steal anything from anybody. Y'all follow me and if you don't, we're going to burn down your house and steal your crops. No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't come to kill anybody, not then and not ever. You say, what about the book of Revelation? Would you please register for the sinners in the hands of a loving God? <laughs> Online class, that will be week five. We'll deal with the book of Revelation. Uh, Jesus doesn't come to kill anybody. And Jesus uh, doesn't come to destroy the kings and kingdoms of this world so that in their place he can set up his own kingdom. That's not how Jesus does it. Jesus comes that we might have life and have it abundantly. But Jesus doesn't use the ways and means of death to bring it about. Jesus doesn't kill anybody. Jesus doesn't bring death and destruction. Jesus, Jesus is not like the generals and the revolutionaries and the messiahs of this world. Jesus is different. He lays his life down and then he takes it back up again and he leads his flock into the pastures of abundant life. But what does it mean to have abundant life? When I entered my 40s, um, when I entered midlife, I began to have a, a strange recurring experience. I would wake up at 3 a.m. It was always 3 a.m. I'd wake up at 3 a.m. with this question being presented to me with great urgency. When do we live? When do we live? Night after night, wake up at three in the morning. It's like, it's like someone standing on my bed. Hey, BZ, when do we live? And I couldn't just dismiss it. I couldn't not grapple with it. And so there in those wee hours of the morning, I'm lying in bed. When do we live? Eventually, I had to say that my honest answer would be when we go to heaven. Not now. We don't really live now. We live when we go to heaven. Which also means the answer to the question, when do we live, is, well, when we die. And somehow, I just knew that didn't quite sound right. When do we live? Well, 
Not now, but when we die, then we'll live. I was like Jacob at Jabbok. And in the middle of the night, someone was coming to wrestle with me. And I had to wrestle with this. And eventually, some of my theology was out of joint. And I just had to limp along for a while until I could find a better theology. But I knew I'd arrived at a theological problem that I couldn't easily escape. When do we live? Is it now or not? Well, my problem was that my theology was far too afterlife oriented. Afterlife. What a, what a strange word. Afterlife. Afterlife. My theology of salvation was far too afterlife oriented. My concept of salvation suffered from what I call heaven and hell minimalism. That was just all about, you know, where do you go when you die? Heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell. Every Salvation was shrunk down to that one afterlife issue. What happens to you when you die? Uh, this is essentially, this is, this is ticket to heaven salvation for when you die. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very common concept of salvation. What do we mean by salvation? Well, it means you go to heaven when you die. It's a very common concept of salvation and it's largely misleading. Yes, we have the promise of eternal life. We, we have the promise of resurrection because Jesus has entered into death by death and defeated death that he might give us eternal life. Amen. I believe that with every molecule of my being. But in talking about the kingdom of God, which is the term Jesus used primarily for salvation, he doesn't use the word salvation very much. Paul uses the word salvation a lot. Jesus doesn't use that word very much. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God all the time. Paul doesn't talk about it that much, but they're both talking about the same thing. When Paul talks about salvation, he's talking about the kingdom of God. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about salvation. They're interchangeable terms. And in talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus rarely makes appeals to afterlife. He doesn't do a lot of that. Instead, he offers us a new life, an abundant life here and now. This, by the way, is the whole point of John's gospel. He tells us that. John's giving us this gospel. And then he says, he wrote this gospel so that you may Come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So when do we live? We live when we believe. When we really believe in Jesus, something begins to move us toward newness of life. And we begin to live in many ways for the first time. We begin to come alive. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, Paul will say. And in believing in Jesus, this grace begins to flow into us and we begin to live right now. And we begin to live the life of the age to come and we will continue living that even beyond death. Jesus says, whoever believes in me even though they die, shall live. He who believes in me shall never die. 
See, it's two perspectives. For the perspective of someone that is looking at your life, you come to the end of your life, we have a funeral, we say nice things about you, but we still believe that you're going to live again. But that's not your perspective. Your perspective is I'm approaching death. I'm coming upon death. I'm nearing death. Wait a minute, where's death? All I see is Jesus. And we enter it. But, but that life doesn't begin at death. That, big, that life begins as we believe. And it grows over time. It develops. It becomes more and more. We begin to ha- we have a little bit of life and then we have more life and we have more life. And eventually, you know what it becomes? It becomes abundant. It becomes just overflowing with life. Hmm. That's why we talk about being born again. Coming to life and then coming to life again and then again and until it's an abundant life. Now, I began this sermon by giving you some history about these false messiahs. You say, oh, that was interesting. That was kind of interesting. It was interesting. But then he moved on and started talking about when do we live? But they're not really connected. Oh, they are connected. The life of the age to come this abundant life, this, this life, this newness of life that has the potential to become abundant life begins when we really believe in Jesus. But I mean really believing in Jesus. I don't mean believing in Jesus as the conductor who hands you your ticket. It's all right, when you die, just turn that in and you'll be good. Here's your ticket to heaven. Just hold on to it. And then when you die, you can use that ticket to get into heaven. If, if that's how we believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the conductor dispensing tickets for the afterlife, um, then we're going to be seduced by other messiahs. When I say believe in Jesus, I mean believe he is the messiah, the Christ, the king, the liberator, the savior, the answer. The good shepherd who will lead us into those green pastures, those abundant fields right now. If we don't really believe in Jesus here and now, we say, I believe in Jesus. You know, he died for our sins, but you know, he's, he's the, he's the secretary of afterlife affairs. He's going to take care of me when I die. If we don't Believe in Jesus here and now. He's the answer. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. We'll preach about that next Sunday. He's the way, the truth, and the life here and now. If we don't really believe that, when we, we give kind of lip service to it, but we don't really believe it, what happens is we inevitably begin to look for other messiahs. Mostly, hold on to your hats now, mostly political messiahs who promise abundant life through some promised political future. Follow me in my politics and I will lead you into this glorious political future. Because everything's so terrible now. Follow me and I'll... The problem with political messiahs is they usually end up being bad shepherds. Bad shepherds advocating the destruction of this and the death of that. All for a good cause to hear them tell it. So let me try to be a good shepherd, not the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, but I, I just want to be a good shepherd. Pastor, that's what pastor means, shepherd. I want to be a good pastor. 
If faith in a political Messiah teaches you who to hate, even if you don't call it hate, that will never lead you into the green pastures of abundant life. And, and you, you say, what side are you preaching to? I think I'm preaching to pretty much all of them. Where it's no longer about, you know, sane, good, healthy public policy, but it's about who to hate and why they deserve to be hated. And if you don't hate, then you're not righteous enough. That will never lead you into the green pastures of abundant life. Never. When we hate in the name of a cause, no matter how righteous our cause may be, we give power to false messiahs to steal, kill, and destroy our own soul. Our own soul. Do not give power to false messiahs to steal, kill, and destroy your own soul. I truly, genuinely feel deep sorrow for those who, though they believe in Jesus, they'll say they believe in Jesus and they're sincere. They go to church. They say they believe in Jesus. And yet, day after day, night after night, they subject their soul to talk radio, cable news, internet sites that are specifically designed to engender fear and inflame hatred. They just, they willingly give themselves because they, they believe actually, they wouldn't use this language. They won't use this language. They won't even know it. There'd be too much cognitive dissonance. But they actually believe that this is kind of the Messiah that's giving the answers. And this, they're, they're going to lead us into, you know, a great glorious political future. But actually, all they're doing is learning who to hate and who to fear. And all the while, false messiahs are stealing, killing, destroying their own soul. These false messiahs will not lead to abundant life, never. When we give our soul over to fear and hate, we surrender our soul to death and destruction. And through fear and hate, we lose our soul to the thief. Runs off with our soul. We become empty, an empty shell. So is the Messiah we follow leading us into the green pastures of peace and love or into the barren fields of fear and hate? Basically, it's about fear. Hate is the mask that fear wears to make itself look tough. If you take fear off the table, who do you hate? Hate is just a distortion of the fear that's in you. And these false messiahs, they gain a following by telling you how afraid you should be. They're not the ones saying fear not. They're saying, no, no, you need to be afraid. You need to be afraid. You, you need to be afraid. Does Jesus ever talk like that? You need to be afraid. No, fear not. Why are you afraid? Follow me. And Jesus, he will never lead the sheep into the barren wasteland of fear and hate. That's not where Jesus, he leads us. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, be very afraid, be very afraid. I will not fear. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy. Not disaster, not doom, but goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we believe about Jesus. So don't follow Judas of Galilee. He only comes to steal. Don't follow a Thronges the shepherd. He's a bad shepherd. He only comes to kill. Don't follow Simon of Perea. He only comes to destroy. You say, well, yeah, I know. I can't follow them. They're, they're no longer around. Oh, really? Uh, don't follow any of their modern successors. Political messiahs saying, here's who you fear. Who's, here's who you hate. Follow me. They only come to steal, kill, and destroy your own soul. Because if you think there's no more false messiahs, well, you know you're sadly mistaken. Believe in Jesus and follow him. He is the true Messiah. He is the good shepherd. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me, those other messiahs, the ones that said, I'm the Christ, I'm here to save you, I got the answer. They're thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved. Will come in and go out and find what you're looking for. You'll find that pasture. You'll find that abundant life. You'll find that goodness. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep that we might partake of his life and have the beginning of abundant life within us. That's what we receive when we come to the table. We eat of the bread, drink of the cup. We receive the life of the good shepherd given to the sheep. Amen. Stand with me. Let's first confess our faith and then confess our sins and receive forgiveness. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done 
and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. So I say to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and that this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.